Rachel, you want to pray for us? Sure. Lord, thank you for a rainy Sunday morning. May we glorify you with our discussion and learning. Uh, and thank you for a brand new week. With uh, more chances to learn more about that. Amen. Amen. All righty. So why is charity more unpopular than chastity? I'm just going to launch right in here. Why does C.S. Thank you. Why does C.S. Lewis think charity more unpopular than chastity? Because <laughs> your neighbor is often, is often your enemy. Your neighbor is often your enemy, right? So if you're going to love your neighbor, I would rather be told that uh, yeah, I would. That is more unpopular, isn't it? I mean, I, I almost completely agree with him. Um, <clears throat> Because, I mean, is, is it easy to love your neighbor when your neighbor is... Liberal? Yeah. Loans <laughs> you the lawnmower, gives back your uh, shovel on time, doesn't keep it for months and weeks and years. I remember a neighbor was over at my house and borrowed a movie from me one time. And uh, it was a movie I, that was actually his. He, I'd had it for so many years that he'd forgotten that it was actually his. So I generously loaned it to him. And I thought, and I remember him as just the best neighbor. He was the best. But uh, it's true because, you know, it's really funny how this actually works. Because I actually do have a, a neighbor that has lived in my block since before I moved there 13 years ago. And he is not my favorite. Mm. And uh, my kids, I. <laughs> I saw him today, and everyone's like, "Oh, Mister So and So." All my kids even know it's really, um, and and I would, I, I it's a real struggle because he's extraordinarily unlovely. <laughs> now, um, what C.S. Lewis does is he immediately starts talking about enemies, though, when it comes to what he doesn't just start with your neighbor. Yourself. No, he starts in a much bigger way. It's, you know, usually when people talk about... War. war. Yeah, modern Nazis. war, right? Nazis. Yeah. Can you forgive a Nazi? Yeah. Um, can you forgive Jeffrey Dahmer? Can you forgive sex offenders who live two miles from your house? You know, th these terrible, nasty things. But he doesn't even want... I, he, he realizes that most of us aren't even really mature to deal with this, right? Let's just talk about our neighbor. <laughs> and he moves right into that category very quickly. Um... And he says, everyone, Lewis writes, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Mm -hmm. Now, do you agree with this? Mm -hmm. We all love forgiveness, right? Right until we actually have to do it. Yeah. Um, why do people think that charity is hateful and contemptible? That's actually how he describes it. Yeah. Hateful and contemptible. Well, he doesn't use, because we kind of like almost a little bit different word, the word hate these days, right? Hateful means yeah. we more like, a thing to, to be hated. Yeah, a thing to be hated, right. right. Um, yeah, now why? Why does he think that? Because you, you should never forgive a Nazi, is what they would say. Right, you should like, never forgive so a Nazi. So. How can you forgive a Yeah, now, can, do you guys have a category in your mind? I can forgive anybody but... Yeah. Yeah? I mean, it's not even Nazis for me. It's easy to understand. Once you read a little bit of the history, of course they... they especially the common German going along with the flow of things. Because we have this debate, um, I have boys, so in the actual real possibility of them going to war. So we have war ethic talks. We talk about war ethics. <laughs> you know, uh, shoot all SS off, uh, members. This is like a rule in the class house. 
Uh, we don't just hate Germans. If they, if they surrender, you take their surrender. But if they're SS, you just automatically shoot them, all of them. And <laughs> this is a theory I put out there years ago. And so every once in a while, the boys and I sit down and discuss uh, whether this is ethical or not. Mm -hmm. um, so then I start telling stories about what the SS did. Right? And so slowly, I've won over some of them. <laughs> but some of them still resist. Um, and, and, and I think in our culture, this is especially the way that they tr you treat sex offenders. Because they don't actually deal with them the way that they ought to. Right? So sex offenders walk amongst us. And, and, and we, people, right, respectable middle class church that we are, what if we had somebody who walked in here who, you know, really was, had just gotten out of prison? Right? Mm -hmm. And they want to come and lead a Bible study. <laughs> because they were converted in jail and they're, you know, a holy roller now. And I think that most of us have trouble with that. What do you guys think? What are some categories that you think are respectable to hate? <coughs> and are? The government. The government, yeah. There you go. Those are SS officers for sure. <laughs> 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 Nine. <clears throat> right? The government, that's a good one. Everybody hates the government. We're not supposed to like them. Uh, in fact, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny how things work. I feel like now I have to do all this serious teaching about how in Romans 13 we really ought to obey the government. Right? We, we've we've overcorrected on, on some of us have been so rabid for two years that we actually need to talk about the fact that the government wasn't was given to us by God <laughs> and we actually do have to obey them. Um, just how and when is the question. What are other categories that's easy for us to hate? Politics. Well, what do you mean by that? Politics. Just in general. Yeah, just like political opponents, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Hillary Clinton. Right. Yeah. How, how would we feel if Hillary came to church? I don't know if there's two bells. I don't care. Hillary came and she's like, I was converted and I want to now go to a Doug Wilson church and I moved to Seattle. Can I come to your church? I would actually... Uh, there's a lot of reasons I wouldn't like that. but <clears throat> Right? People like that. Um, okay, so getting down into it. like, um, So say you have a family member. Imagine for a moment a family member. Uh, who's, who's you've not seen in a long time, all of a sudden they come to you and they want to be forgiven. Is it going to be actually easy to do it? No. Hmm. No. Uh, no, and I mean, family members, this is where it gets really hard. I mean, you, um, I've been accused, uh, I, I accused, talked to you about this by my own family members. I tend to have a great capacity of compassion for everybody whose last name doesn't rhyme with floss. Um, and, and because it's true. I mean, there are people that I have helped in the, in the woods across the street that were probably worse than some of my family members. But I find that easy. The family member I don't find so easy because I know. I know them and they know me. Um, and I think that C.S. Lewis is really punching hard here. We like to think chastity, right? Sexual ethics, this is the thing. But re it really is forgiveness. It's, it's, it's this kind of charity, that is really actually more difficult for us, and we don't want to talk about it, generally. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. I'm trying to figure out whose cry that is. 14, 15. Okay. 
All right, so we're going to read this verse, and then we're going to explain it according to C.S. Lewis. Who would like to read it for us? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, now let's talk about this. Okay, we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Is that what he means? Oh, you don't earn it. Okay, all right. So unless I forgive my neighbors, though, God will not forgive me. What does he mean? What does Matthew mean by this? How would C.S. Lewis explain this? Well, he just said it's, there's no. I think he said verbatim. There's no suggestion that forgiveness is offered on any other basis than that we have to forgive. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you agree with that? Well, God knows we're weak. <laughs> we should do this. Yes. Yes. I, I don't. Really right, and I th- I think what we're gonna what we get into with this one is what C.S. Lewis is gonna go on and talk about about the you don't really know how bad you really are, and yeah. so you try very hard to be good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You don't really understand about forgiveness until you really try to do it. Um, and, and, and I think Jesus comes, you know, and there's all these religiously hypocritical people. And he wants, he wants to get their attention back on the, the actual standard. By what standard is what, is or what Jesus is always going around saying. It is written by this standard. And he clarifies it for them. Okay, Unless you forgive others, you will not be forgiven. And, and, and what ought to happen for us is, is we all ought to say, oh, no. <laughs> right? And, and, and it ought to humble us. And it ought to, because as C.S. Lewis will later say, God is more interested not in what we're doing, but what we're becoming. Yeah. Okay? And when, and when you're a pharisaical person and you hear this and, and you respond in the wrong way, you're just hardening yourself to the truth. That you ought to be softened by these things, realizing that I have a lot of things to forgive, and, and you want to cry out for forgiveness more than you want to justify yourself. And I think this is part of this now. He's going to get into this humbling of oneself. So when we read verses like this, we ought to be greatly humble. Not necessarily, I, I think you go the wrong direction if you start getting, you know, works righteousness wrapped around your axle. Okay. Like, oh, in third grade, I didn't forgive Susie for... Yeah, yeah, I didn't forgive Susie in third grade, now I'm going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I mean, because most of us, uh, if you've read the whole Bible, you're like, wait a minute, um, there's actually things that I don't even know about. So, I, I, like, I can't even do what he's asking. Right, right. I, I, can't even, I can't even attempt it, because I, like, the, there are sins that I've committed that I, um, that I'm so sin, I don't realize they were even sins. And I did them with my eyes wide open. Um, Can I add the fact that you can't do it? I think is kind of the point of what Jesus yes. is saying. He's trying to show exactly. you, hey, you need to be saved by somebody. <laughs> can't be you. Yeah, and he does this again and again and again. He does this about marriage. They say, well, who, who, what, what's the point of getting married then? Yeah. Right? Who can accept these words? And all these people yeah. get up in John yeah. uh, six well, and leave. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he wants you to realize how it's impossible for you. And uh, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees and everyone's like. <laughs> I thought you hated those guys. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, what are you doing? Um, So the difference between liking and loving those who offend you. Oh, what is the difference? What is the difference between liking and loving those who offend you? You don't have to like them. That you love them the same way you love yourself because you want good for them. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's really... 
This is another one we struggle with. And I remember a few years ago at Presbytery, did I tell you guys this one about the, the they always invite one preacher to get up and he preaches at the preachers. And, and most people, you know, just sort of checked out on this particular event. But one guy was like, uh, Errol, Errol Flynn, I like to call him, no, Flynn, he was the pastor down in Eugene. And his sermon was, God calls you to like one another, or to love one another, not like one another. And he talked. He was talking in this sermon. It was like, I wonder who he means. <laughs> and it was very, very awkward because there's a lot of us who don't like each other very much. But we, but but love is the point. Yeah. And and that kind of honesty to all of us, right at the beginning of all this business we're about to do. I, and I remember it was one of the most effective sermons ever done in that context. Um, nobody ever quite nailed it like that, except Ben Merkel. He had the opportunity to preach the entire every pastor in the CRC, and he just. Blew us in the spirit. <laughs> Ouch! I'm still singing for that one. Um, so this idea that we're not—you're not—you don't have to like people, but we we flip the two things, and we think that what we have to do is find the people in the church who we like, right? So we end up creating cliques. You end up having people over who are the most like you, the, right? Your socioeconomic status, who like your hobbies, who like the kinds of things you like, and we think liking is the point. Okay, but what, what, what does it look like in a church where you have people you don't know? What does it mean to love them and not like them? Okay, you have, <laughs> you're looking at your, I'm going to get really in, oh, in your grill here. <laughs> so you're looking at your Sundays for the next couple of weeks, and this is what, this is what the class is at with you. We're like, okay, who are we going to invite over? And you get out the list of names, and I'm like, how about those people, those people, and those people? And then my wife goes, well, no, I think we need to have these people, these people, and these people. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> right? Because, because for me, especially, I'm gonna, this is me being super honest, it, it is like an extension of work. When it's not people in the church that I'm friends with, right, there's like a certain grip and grin, we call it, in the class house. My son calls it grip and grin. Dad's gone to grip and grin. Where I'm just like, oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's great. How's work? Good, good, good. Yeah, how's the kids? How's mom? <laughs> And so what we, we tend to do is sure, what, I, sure. what we see now is grip and grin all over the place, right? You see a grip and grin. You see people just like so happy to be here, just give it two more minutes, then we can get in the car. And I think for a church like ours, I think this is where the like and love aspect, hospitality, really starts to shine. Because when, if somebody in our church stands up and they say they need something, everyone will respond. We, we will. Um, and we will open our homes to one another. But the like and love categories is where this really comes into play okay and I think that this is an area that we really ought to think about um, are we just are we gravitating towards, towards those people where it's the easiest or are we gravitating towards the people who are in the most need okay Jesus went after the people in the most need not the people who it was easiest for it turns out he had real friends Lazarus and Martha and Mary are actual friends but you don't find him again and again and again always at their house <laughs> In fact, he's not even there when his friend gets sick. Uh, and he lets his friend die. I'm like, he's like, well, not yet. I can't go down there yet. I've got to give him a few more days. And this is his friend. Yeah. Okay, so um, how do our feelings and treatment of self explain the difference between liking and loving? Right? This is where he gets into how we treat ourselves. How does the way we treat ourselves help us figure out this like and love aspect? Yeah, it's like, do we... Do we uh, give other people the same, you know, focus and, and energy of like, oh, I gotta, you know, 
take care of yourself, take yeah. care of, you know, like, man, that's, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> you can barely keep up yourself, right? Yeah, right. And and do you tend do you tend to not like yourself sometimes? Yeah. But I've never been like, you know, you Yeah. I'm not gonna feed you today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. You jerk. Well and I think especially in today's culture and our time we have confused love and yeah. the word love with this like emotion. Uh-huh. And that's not right. True, that's not loving. Right. Like, that's not actual love. And and so, yeah, there's tons of times I don't like what I've done. I don't like my actions, but I will always love myself and, and want good for myself and take care of myself. Right. But to actually love someone else, it, it's almost like respecting the office, not necessarily a, the person who's respectable or not respectable. Right. Like you love because you've been yeah. loved. You forgive because you've been forgiven. Yeah. Right. And not and and you do it out. Of, you just. It's more of like an action and something you do as opposed right. to this emotional feeling that compels you to then do something. Right. Um, whether that's in marriage, like I don't really love you, like or I like I don't really like you so much right now, but yep. I will love you because I've committed and made vows. Right. To your children, yourself, and then so to extend that beyond. Right. And I've had experience with that recently, and it's like, oh, I don't like this person yeah. at all, mm-hmm. and I haven't even been loving to them for years because mm-hmm. it was easier. Right. But then to all of a sudden switch and switch say, like, around. I'm going to try to love this person not because I actually feel like it, but because I want to obey God. Yeah, totally. And that has and you cross over to a whole other vista at that point <laughs> of Christian ethics, right? Um, and it's hard. It's really hard to do. And we and then because. You know, extensions of self. It's easy to love myself, even though I don't like myself. It's it, it's over time gets easier to love my wife, even though I don't like her. I know it's hard to imagine even her, um, but this happens. And and so, but what what? So the idea is that we got to move the circle, right? Okay, my kids. Like, I, I'm I'm sort of irritated by you right now, but I'm going to love you anyway. And and so the idea is you just you're just like like a bicycle pump. You're you're pumping. You're getting the circle bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to include more and more and more people. Um, until you're including people on the outside who you don't even know, um, and, and I mean sometimes it takes right. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't take long. Uh, you meet some person on the bus, like when I used to have a commute. You're like, okay, I'm going to sit on the other side, down the aisle, far away, um, or I'm going to sit here and I'm going to talk to this person and absorb the brunt of their weirdness <laughs> for the sake of everyone else on the bus. <laughs> Sometimes you just catch the next one. Sometimes you just catch the next one. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, um, okay. So, we, lie, we love ourselves even when we don't like ourselves. Okay, how does Lewis explain the adage, hate the sin but not the sinner? <laughs> hate the sin but not the sinner. I say it as like a like a three step process. That's kind of step two. But the first step is he talks about how to love your enemies. Yeah. He says that loving your enemies doesn't mean thinking they're nice. Right? Yeah. So that's fair. But he also goes further and says, well, you're also told that you are allowed to loathe and hate some of the things that your enemies do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where that comes in, where he says um, you have to hate the actions, but not the bad man. Mm-hmm. And then the the third step, which I love, is that. Well, how do you hate that? The bad actions, but not the men. And he goes, well, it just turns to the self. I do that to myself all, all the time. It's really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, I love this line especially, um, uh, and the very reason why I hated the things 
why, why I hated those things was that I loved the man, that I loved myself. Right. That's why I hated the bad actions. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? Because we hate what we do because we like we love the person mm-hmm. yeah. that it's affected, right? Yeah. Uh, there are sins in ourselves that we hate because of, because of the natural effect that it has on us. And so, but then when we come to other people, we tend to hate them, right? Oh, look at what you yeah. did. Of course you did this. Um, and, 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 you know, we're not, it's amazing how all of a sudden we're like, I'm not concerned about what this has done to you. I'm, I, I, I hate what you have done. Um, and differentiating them. And this actually is helpful to me because I hate that phrase. Um, cause God hates sinners. Um, he does, but he also loves sinners. And I, and I, and, and what I'm used to dealing with is this, well, God loves all sinners. He wants all sinners to be, it's true. It's true. Okay. That is true. At the same time, there are people in the end that you can, uh, right? he says, Esau, I hated. So God hates people. And, and, and what I find is this is a helpful corrective to my corrective. Um, this actually helps me think about this. Because I really do hate uh, <laughs> things that I do, but love me. <laughs> and so, okay, that's actually what people have been, that's what this phrase really means. It's, it, it is very, very helpful in times like ours where it's misused to be able to explain it like this. Uh, okay, so what role should joy play in the treatment of our enemies? What role should joy play? He kind of talks about how the goal of loving your enemies shouldn't be to just, like, condemn them, but to actually um, wish for their good <laughs> and to take joy in the, the ways that they correct their behavior. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah, to rejoice. Because what happens in heaven every time a sinner uh, repents? Yeah, in fact, it's the only one of the only times in the Bible where they say something on earth affects what happens in heaven. Um, if you and, and I, I heard that, and I was like, that can't be true. And then I did a little looking, and I was like, actually, yeah, there's not a lot of times where you say, where they say something happens on earth that it actually affects what they're doing in heaven. But when a, when a sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. So when a sinner repents, what should we do? We should rejoice. That's the whole point. Um, what, like, post-confession at church, when we're going through the liturgy, that should be one of the happiest moments of your week. Because we all together just confessed our sins and were forgiven. And, and there's this moment where we rise up from that. Where, like, it, it is, a, it is an, a complete picture of where we're going, what we're doing together. Right? Think about the fact that you're sitting there telling God your most intimate things right in the company of all these people. <laughs> and we do it because we know he's listening, and then he forgives us. And then we stand up, and then we worship. And, and that song should probably be one of the more robust songs that we sing through the whole service. Um, and because there's real, should be real joy in what we've just done. Think about what we're actually doing when we confess. It's not just personal, but a whole people. Um, it's, it's a glorious, glorious thing. And, and so what we should do is want people to receive forgiveness, even if they've sinned against us, so that, and, and then share in the joy of it. Because it's very common. <laughs> Kids, spouses, whatnot, sin, they ask for forgiveness, you say forgiveness. And so it's really hard to add that joy element. Um, it, it's easier with my kids because we've had this rule for many years where after the discipline and after the prayer, there has to be some fun, like some laughter, some camaraderie, some coming together fellowship. Um, and that's very easy to do with my kids, but I don't think I've ever applied that principle. Um, like there are some people, honestly, again, this is 
sharing time, where I just <laughs> want to get them out of my office. It's like, I'm so glad you're repentant about this. Please leave now. <laughs> like the tears, you're like, here's some tissues. Okay, got to go. And, and, and what, what, what this is teaching me is just how I, I don't have the right affections. When people re- really repent, and there's real forgiveness, and there's real restoration, it ought to be a sor- source of joy, no matter whether we like the person or not, okay? or feel love towards them. Because that's what's going, we should, we're joining up with what's going on in heaven. Okay. Uh, what is the difference between murder and killing? I remember, I had the Ten Commandments on the wall in my house when I was a kid. And it said, thou shalt not kill. Which actually is not what the word says. It's murder. But what's the difference between murder and killing? Accidental versus the intentional. Yeah, accidental versus intentional. Okay, so you know if you if you have homicide, uh, this is another one. My poor kids have to go through this all the time. Homicide, the death of a person, okay, or the murder of a person. Um, but you have this murder. Is it justified? If it's justified murder, then it's actually not murder. It ceases to be murder and becomes something else. You guys know other categories of this. Right? If I, if I, manslaughter. Okay, manslaughter is another version of it where you didn't do it on purpose, but um, you were acting in such a way that was very dangerous. Right. Okay? You were, you were looking at your phone while driving through uh, a, a crosswalk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and it's very, very interesting in criminology how they have really worked hard, right, to. Um, clarify these things. So if you, you walk in on something and, and there's going to be a crime of passion, they call it, uh, where you have no, th- you're so overcome by what's happened. Uh, this is always the case. Like a, a spouse walks in on their spouse in the bedroom with someone else and you just kill both of them. You'll actually, that's justifiable homicide um, at that point. If you leave the room to get a weapon and come back, it's homicide, homicide, because you, you had the wherewithal to go and get something. <laughs> Think about it for a bit, right? Yeah, you're like, you know, gun really or knife. Hold on. <laughs> and, and, and this happens all the time. Like, this is, this is the big one now. Like, fathers who catch people hurting their kids. And it's just like, justifiable homicide. Uh, crime of passion. You go get a bat, and it's a different thing. And the re- I literally have this discussion with my kids. All these different kinds of, of homicide. Because when we do these things to one another, it's similar. You, this was not a crime of passion. Okay, a crime of passion, son. You you know you have this sin with your brother. He smacks you in the face. You smack him back. It's justifiable, and one level I understand it. Okay, you go and get a skate, and you bring the skate over, and you whack him in the face with the skate. That's different, right? You had time to think about what you were doing. Um, <laughs> just a live example. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, we don't even own skates. Oh, okay. Skates. I was just trying to think of something. Like bad. Yeah. It's like just intense. <laughs> It's yeah. It's really yeah, and I and I think you you it's important to think through this when you're dealing with other people's sin. Did they right? Did, it, your anger is it justifiable or is it manslaughter? Right? <laughs> um, what, was it an accident? Right? Were you just being careless? Self defense? Yeah, and I think when you think of murder and you think of sin in this way, it's easy. It's easier to deal with it. Um, because if you just treat all sins as the same, I think, you, I think that's problematic. Over time, that's problematic. Kids need to learn that there's a difference. Um, and this, this was a big one I, in our parenting class. You know, you talk about the difference between immaturity and sin. 
um, my, my three-year-old does not really have very much control over himself. And so when he knocks a lamp over, uh, he could have just been immature. Or he could have been doing something I told him not to. I said, I see what he's doing. I say, okay, stop that. Uh, at that point, he's gone and got the roller skate, right? I mean, at that point, he's doing it, and he's doing it on purpose. And I think when you categorize, think about people who sin against you. Was this a crime of passion? Was this premeditated? <laughs> was this manslaughter? What was this that just happened? And, and if those who are spiritual go and release someone who's caught in their sin, I think this is something that really helps you think about it. Because it could be just a crime of passion on your part. You've sinned, and I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to sin back. And then so now what you've taken is whatever their sin was, and you've added on top of it um, murder. Right? And so we... We, we react this way to one another, but slowing down and thinking about these categories actually helps you, I think, deal with things better. Uh, which I don't think was C.S. Lewis's point, but it's helpful. This is a class on ethics. Okay, so now we're going to go to chapter 8. What's chapter 8 in this book? Pride. The great sin. The great sin. Ah. Pride. Okay, so what does every man have? Every man hates to see in others and won't admit it if they aren't a Christian. Homicide? No. <laughs> all right, this is the thing we all have. Chastity. Yeah, chastity. <laughs> no. <laughs> everyone has it, everyone hates it, and no one will admit to it unless you're a Christian, maybe. Okay, now how does Lewis define self-conceit and pride? He actually has a definition in the book that is somewhat helpful. They sound rocking out there today. The complete anti-God state of mind. There we go. The complete anti-God state of mind. The complete anti-God state of mind. That's pride, That's pride and self-conceit. And. Yeah, he calls it self-conceit or pride. He kind of goes back and forth. Okay, so say it again. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Okay, so explain what causes us to be proud. What actually causes someone to be proud, according to C.S. Lewis? Well, I think, I mean, I think maybe we're going to, the example he gave is when, of course, we all um, appreciate when we get admiration for doing something well, and yeah. that's fine, right? That's good. Um, but it's when you keep keep looking for that, and you get to the point where you don't even need other people's admiration, you just you just look at yourself, and you self-admire so much. You're yeah, like, I'm you such a great, you know. <laughs> I'm such a good person. Yeah, yeah. I don't need anyone else's love. Yeah, so, um, yes, okay, so self causes us to be proud. Okay, what else happens to us? Competition. Mm-hmm. Competition. Mm-hmm. Now, there, um, have you guys ever heard of uh, Gerard? Rene Girard. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've heard of Rene Girard. So who is who is he? It's all in Girard. Come on, you're here. Who's Girard? <laughs> well, they all kind of get. Uh, is he, that no? That's Rousseau. Uh, he's philosopher. a philosopher. Yes, about enmity. He wrote a lot about enmity. Okay, then I was thinking of the wrong. Oh, okay. Sorry. French dude. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all in Gerard is something that the um, Wilsons always say. It's all in Gerard. If you want to understand man, you want to understand what's going on. Uh, it's called mimetic violence. It's a weird word. 
Uh, there's a book called I Saw Satan Fall Like Lightning. I Saw Satan Fall Like Lightning. And, and what he does is he explains um, enmity and its effect, and, and both how you get to it. Because enmity is like a sin down the road. You start with, um, you start with coveting. Okay, I want the thing you have. Uh, I don't like that you have it and I don't have it. Okay, now, now you've moved to pride. Okay, now I'm going to hurt you so that I can have what you have. Now we're into enmity, okay? And so, so there's this series of sins that occur. Um, and, and, and enmity explains everything in, in one sense. And, and it also explains there, there's a cycle of enmity that he describes in history and in Christ's story in the Gospels where um, you have this escape uh, or this um, this goat, what do you call it? The escape goat. Escape goat. Is, that, is it really that simple? Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, does that seem too simplistic? It's the one that gets sent out. Yes. Yes. So what you have is all this. You Satan works his society into all this enmity. Okay. And and then everybody wants to blame someone. And so what we do is we find a scapegoat that we then murder, and 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 we. We, we satiate our enmity on this victim, this group victim, and then we go back to being normal for a while until the enmity cycle starts again. And, and this is kind of his theory of history slash ethical history. Um, and you see in, in Jesus' you see in Jesus's life, right? He's the scapegoat. There's all this enmity and jealousy. And you go and you look, what, they don't like the crowds that are following him. They don't like the attention he's getting. They're gonna, they're gonna, he's gonna cause the Romans to take away our place, right? There's all this enmity and their hatred of him, and this is what James talks about. It, it, what causes strife between us is enmity, and so recognizing what gets you there is the key, because you can't just say don't be, don't don't feel enmity towards one another. Well, it's actually upstream of that. Stop coveting, right? Stop having greed, and and think about it, right? What is Marxism? It's it's the um, the rich people. Yeah, the rich people. That's the problem. The rich people. Class. Yeah, the, the class structure, right? And now, when you have um, ethnic Marxism, it's it's the white privilege, yeah. right? Everybody, I've got this white privilege card that I use. It still doesn't get me out of tickets. I thought white people didn't get tickets, but we do actually. If you speed, you will get a ticket. I've yet to exercise my white privilege, as far as I'm I'm concerned, but I'm still waiting. Apparently, I have a lot of it. Okay. So if we go to James chapter 4, we'll look at this. And, and pride, what I think is interesting is that C.S. Lewis is sort of a pre-Gerard. Gerard came later. Um, and he, was a, he, he actually taught literature at uh, USC, I think, or UCLA. Um, and he wrote a lot about this. He wrote a book. Um, Mememic violence. So C.S. Lewis predates him. And in this chapter, it, there's a lot of confusing ideas that I know later are separated out by Gerard. But C.S. Lewis kind of just clumps all this stuff together in, in really interesting self-conceit, pride. He describes enmity. He talks about this violence towards one another. And, and he just doesn't have clear categories because they hadn't been yet thought of. Does this make sense? This is sort of like pre-Gerard. And Gerard quotes C.S. Lewis a lot. But at, in chapter 4 of James, if you start in verse 1, we'll just read verse 1 to 10. If you'd like. Anybody? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to, made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn the, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Okay. So he goes on, right, to say, do not speak evil against one another, right? So we go and we look at this section. It's quite interesting. Friendship with the world, not resisting the devil, uh, having unclean hands, um, not praying properly, not asking for the right things. There's a lot that goes into enmity. And this is why it's so important to, to read Gerard to think about these things. Enmity is what's wrong with us. What causes the quarrels and fights amongst us? Enmity does. Well, what causes enmity? Well, he lists a ton of things. Right? It's a long list of stuff. And, and, and what happens to us is that we're not, we don't, we're not as careful as this. And this is why I think learning to confess properly is so important. Right? We, we have to be very specific. And we have to consider very specific kinds of sins. We get so distracted by chastity sins. <laughs> it's like modern Christians were so distracted by chastity sins. That's immodest, oh my God. Um, when, when this, some of these will fly right by us. Okay? And this is what um, another guy, Jerry Bridges, talks about the respectable sins. In every culture, there are sins that are respectable. There are sins that we accept. Okay? If, you, if you're a proud, flashy guy in our world, we tend to think that's good. Look at that ambitious man. Look at that guy strutting, right? Cock of the walk. Good for him. Um, and, and, and as long as he's modest, <laughs> right, in dress, we tend to think he's okay. But, but if you look at this list, if you look at chapter 4 of James, there are all, all kinds of things here that we have to specifically be on guard against and watch out for, not only in ourselves but in one another. Okay? And, and then what is it? What is friendship with the world? What does he mean that you ask wrongly? There's a right way and a wrong way to ask. I thought that God just heard our prayers. <laughs> I have to pray a certain way? Okay, this is now very interesting. Now, how many of us pray like the Lord's Prayer versus prayer, pray like God is a giant vending machine? Right? I'm going to get on my knees now and press A7. Because what I want is a Snickers bar from heaven. And, and, and I think that has a lot to do with what he's talking about here. The way we pray. It's not... And, and he talks about humbling yourself, which is what C.S. Lewis is going to go on and talk a great deal about, and what we've already begun to look at, right? Oh, I have to forget. If I want forgiveness, I have to forgive. Okay, now I'm humble. See, once you start to become humble, and you think, oh, I don't, I don't deserve these things that I receive, and I'm so glad that he has received what he's received. I'm going to rejoice with the, those who, who rejoice. I'm going to weep with those who weep. You, you start to have this humble approach to people. You start to love them like you love yourself. Once you start doing these things... 
you avoid the enmity that destroys so much of what Christians are trying to build. Um, and I think we're going to stop here because what, what his second chapter about charity is um, not redundant, but doesn't really add too much. I think this part is what I want you guys to go and I want you to go and look at James chapter four as individuals, as couples, as families, and, and really list out what are the things he is guard, he wants us to guard against. Um, because when 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 inside the church and outside the church, right, greed and enmity is the thing that's bringing us down. And, and we've got to learn how to cure the enmity in order to cure the strife. Um, it's one thing to call for peace in the, in, amongst the people of God and not address this enmity issue. If you're not going to address this enmity issue, and a large part of what people don't know this about Doug Wilson, but a large part of his ministry is this. Uh, the Wilsons talk about how it's all in Gerard. Gerard explains everything. And most of their ministry, uh, not only in Moscow but beyond Moscow, is about dealing with enmity. And that's why he's always talking about friendship with the world. He's always talking about covetousness. He's talking about greed. He's talking about how you pray and worship. I mean, this is part of what they're always talking about. And I think it's very, it would be very helpful if this was something we were always also talking about. Um, because, uh, especially here, we need a united church to take on the dark world of the Pacific Northwest. And we're only going to have that if, if the typical enmity between the church groups um, is dealt with. Okay. Any questions? I was only going to mention that. As in, I just think it's interesting that these these two different topics that go real go real well together. Because forgiving your enemy, loving your enemy, like even if you don't like them, you can't do that if you have pride, right? Yeah, like, totally. Like it's you gotta gotta work on your pride. You should, you know, to yeah, you humble yourself, yeah, humble yourself. Right. And doing and doing those things are humbling. So. Yeah, yeah, and you see all the people who react to Jesus. What do they do? They humble themselves. Mm-hmm. They cry out to him. They humble themselves. Yeah. They. They have faith. They're like, hey, I don't, I'll, I'll cast everything out if I can just be here with you, if I can just touch you. And, and that's the kind of humbleness that, that causes the enmity to go away. A humble people will not have enmity. Um, if, 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 right? And, that, and if, you're, if you're, you're humble, you won't, have, uh, you won't have enmity with God and one another, and you won't have friendship with the world, and all these, see, yeah. these, all these things, like a whole spider web. <laughs> all right. A good one. Yeah. Don, would you pray for us? Sure. Lord, we thank you so much for opportunity to study your word and figure out what we need to do in order to draw it closer to you. And so we ask through the rest of the week that you would be with us, plant your word in us, help it to grow, and that we be kind and love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.